The Triathlon Hour is brought to you by Pillar Performance. If you train and realize how important sleep is to you being your best, then head to Pillar Performance's website and get yourself some triple magnesium. Use the discount code HTT20 for 20% off. And then once it gets to you, start taking your triple magnesium 45 minutes before bed every night and watch how much better you sleep and therefore how much better you feel every single morning. And if you're in America, it's available to you exclusively through thefeed.com. The 20% discount code of HTT20 still works there too. Radio team, uh, we're up to week eight of the Hayden Wild podcast and big weekend last weekend. So we thought we'd bring on a, a special guest again. Uh, he's all the way from Canada and uh, yeah, I've, I've been racing this guy for a couple of years now. We we shared a podium at the test event. I, I guess that was kind of both of our breakthrough race in 2019 where, yeah, where essentially we go to the Tokyo test event course and, and test out the course and he was the man who took that that race out and and leading into um into into Tokyo uh pre-COVID, he was definitely one of the guys uh, that were the um shit hot favorites. And uh but before that, he um I think he's the only man that's actually ever worn worn a beanie in a triathlon. Um, but he's also extremely good in the heat. Um, he's got multiple wins in the World Cup series, especially Hawataco in uh in Mexico. I think it's uh, a first, a second, and a second. Uh, he's won a couple times in Antwerp as well. And uh, just an all-round fantastic bloke on the series. So I'm pretty stoked to have this this Canadian bloke on. Trains off uh, Vancouver Island, but I think currently based in Girona. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Tyler Musichuk on the podcast. And we'll be talking a little bit about Tyler, but then on to Hamburg and how the heck our bodies are a week after the three days of racing. Tyler, mate, how are we? Oh, that's a wonderful little inter introduction. Yeah. We talked about the test event. Uh, I still remember us all. Well, we ran together the whole way us and uh, Stornez and uh, Stornez wouldn't do <laughs> any work on the run. It was super windy day and we were going back and forth, back and forth, just saying like, let's just keep this going. Cause if we can get a podium at the time, like it would have been, you know, we would have sold anything. We sold our houses at home to get a podium at the test event. Uh, and I remember uh, you realized that you didn't have the beans in the last bit and you were yelling at me to to get them at the line. Uh, and yeah, <laughs> pr- just pretty, pretty funny moment back to it. Yeah, I remember that. Four years ago now. He just sprinted off. This was like probably, the, oh, it was probably like, even like looking at Tokyo, uh, the actual race, um, it was probably about, oh, I'd say Christian, like attacked. 1200 meters out but he attacked like 700 meters out and he just went and i i dropped the foot and then you went around i was like go and get him because <laughs> i was ruined <laughs> <laughs> and hey michelle you mate yeah good good mate very good to be uh to be back we've had i feel like a little hiatus from the from the podcast but obviously you and uh all of the guests that we've been having have been quite busy with a uh, little race period lately but i'm stoked to have um tyler on the podcast today when hayden kind of mentioned that about probably about 12 or so weeks ago the lineup and he said that we're going to get Tyler onto the podcast I was so stoked about it because 
Um, Tyler, you might not know this, you might know this, but Hayden has um, Hayden speaks very highly of you and always has since uh, the day he met you. So I was like, I'm very stoked that we're going to be having this man on the podcast and and you seem like a bloody good man to have some banter with. So I'm looking forward to today. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, but we uh, we met in, I believe it was Jersey. Uh, it might have been a few beers yep. in. So I don't know uh, <laughs> yep. the exact conversation at that point, but uh, I believe there was a few beers involved on both sides. So uh, I don't remember exactly what was said, but briefly, briefly meeting, yes. Was that before or after the Manu and the, uh, the tree? So what a Manu was essentially, you just like a big bomb. And then so Hamish decides to do like a big bomb into the into the trees. I, I wouldn't remember that. So probably, <laughs> well, I probably had a few beers before that, maybe. That one was uh, night one because Tyler got through to day two. So night one was with Ollie Turner, uh, Vasco Velasa when he was like 12 years old. And um, Chris Perham was the other one. And oh, yes. uh, that was the night that that one happened. And then we progressed to the second night and then we proceeded to have a second big night in a row. Jersey was a bloody great time, except to how windy it was. That was a heck of a weekend. Beautiful island, beautiful community. And Va- yeah, Vasco would have been like 18, 17, maybe. He was a young kid, and Ollie Turner was the biggest celebrity I think I've ever met at that time. Going into a pub with Ollie Turner, it was like everyone, like, I cannot believe how many people got around that guy. He's the living legend of the island, still is, I believe. <laughs> yeah. We're waiting for the statue. 100%. And just before we get into the show, Hamish, how was golf? You mentioned it before. Shot a pretty good shot, did you? Good day, mate. Very good day out on the uh, on the course today. Did Brad let um, the team down? Yeah, yeah, no, nah, he did. Uh, he putted well, but um, you know, the boys came through. We got a good result today, but it was it's good being out there. And I can't believe that for once we're doing this podcast on a Friday night. And on a Friday night, I've got a glass of water instead of a cold corona in my hand because I had to rush home and I couldn't go get a box of beers before we got into it. So once this wraps up, then I'll be having a couple. I say Brittany's lacking. She should be down at the uh, at the station now. It's just a walk away. Nah, your boy's home alone for the weekend. Hey. <laughs> Anywho, uh, we're getting to the podcast. Uh, so as we normally do, uh, we normally t- take a little bit of a dive into the special guest. So Tyler, mate, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, obviously, you know, we... We mentioned that you mostly, well, you're from Canada and you mostly train on Vancouver Island, but yeah, take us back to, to the old days when um, you used to play a bit of, bit of ice hockey and uh, and all those sorts before you came into the triathlon scene. Yeah, so uh, I think I I started triathlon probably when I was 15 or 16, um, but as you said, like every single freaking Canadian kid, I played ice hockey. And uh, I mean, funny story actually related to this, but I got my bike stolen yesterday and I was in the police station. And the first thing they asked me is if I was an ice hockey player. And I was like, well, I mean, I, I, I used to be, but my bike got stolen. So you probably could tell I'm actually a cyclist now. Uh, well, triathlete, but I, but I bike, but uh, that's just the classic stereotype. And I started skating when I was like two or three years old, like almost the same time, right after you can walk, you get put on skates as a kid. You know, it's like same as, you know, Kiwis have their sports, Europeans have theirs candidate ice hockey so i played pretty high level until i was about 15 16 and then got into triathlon as a way to like cross train and then realized like well i'm 173 centimeters and weigh about 130 pounds probably at the time about 110 uh, i'm probably not built to be a hockey player 
So uh, <laughs> maybe give this run a try. Hey, uh, mate, I'll tell you what. Just saying, your Wikipedia says you're 75 kgs at 185. So I tell you what, <laughs> Wikipedia is putting you into the ice hockey arena. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that was a... I forget who did that. It was one of my buddies a few years ago. It was like, uh, we'll, beef, we'll beef these stats up so the honeys like it. And no one's ever corrected it. <laughs> so, uh, but I am five. I am 5'10 with Air Forces on, if anyone wants to know. Yeah. Oh. yeah. But uh, yeah, I got in, got into triathlon after that. And then I'm uh, I'm from like a small, like small region in, in Canada, which is right in the middle. It's super cold. Like you can see polar bears if you drive north and like it is really desolate, like minus 45 degrees Celsius in the winter and plus 30 in the summer. So not really an ideal triathlon spot, but yet my junior coach has actually developed, uh, I mean, two, two or three Olympians, uh, two or three national champions after that. And I mean, he just has, this, we just have this girl from my small town who's just come up and she's done her fourth triathlon ever. And she's raced two Continental Cups and uh, come uh, second and then won her fourth race ever in a triathlon. Nice. So uh, small, small community and doesn't really make sense for triathlon, but somehow we keep uh, the coach, <laughs> Gary, keeps ripping out athletes. So it's pretty impressive. Well, I remember you, um, I remember you t- telling me back when we were in Edmonton that, you know, you're saying like, oh, I guess it's like minus 50 degrees. And I was like, bullshit. Um, and then you showed showed me like, where it was on the mat uh and then i actually looked on winter to see what like temperature it was actually last month uh last winter and i was like oh man wasn't joking but you said like there's running <laughs> tracks and like swimming pools and everything like quite below um the ground so you guys can actually train yeah so we out in the winter from like i'd say september or no from like end of october until april like we wouldn't go outside so you would train indoor what? track you train on a treadmill in the pool and then you cycle on the trainer. So like now I hate cycling indoors because it's just cracked me because all winter six, six times a week, I would just train indoors. So we set up our bike trainers at the track and it was just, you, you, you really know you had to love it early and it fished out a lot of athletes because if you <laughs> didn't love it, it was, you, it made sport tough. So now it's like, I get to be in Spain, ride my bike. It's like, every time I come here, I'm like, damn, I'm so lucky, you know, like yeah. <laughs> it's better than riding a trainer in a track and indoor pool. And, for me, like half the fun of the sport is like getting to see the world, you know, like outside being yeah. in nature. So like that is, it's tough going. And uh, yeah, they used to cancel school if it was below minus 45. Because the buses couldn't start. And every year we'd be waiting for the buses. Like, and I'd say 10 days a year, we'd have snow days, which are basically too cold to go outside, but we wouldn't go to school. So instead we'd put on our stuff and go play outside, even though we were like, and so now that's actually one of the reasons, you know, probably the reasons I don't perform well in the cold. I got frostbite so many times in my hands and my feet that now when I go into cold water or that, it's not that I even feel cold. It's that I lose sensation on my uh, hands and feet. And so I just don't actually perform well. And this oh, is like you, you, you commented about the hot weather. And uh, so like the hot weather, I do well. I don't love it. I actually hate it. It's just like everyone. It's super uncomfortable. I just happen to do well in it. So it's a pain in my ass. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, because every win you've had or every podium, it's been yeah. like, yeah, it's a super hot race and you've just killed everyone. And everyone's like, oh man, it's hot. Tyler's already in the spa bath and it's 40 degrees outside. <laughs> it's kind of like the running <laughs> joke. <laughs> He's having yeah, pina coladas in the spa for when it's 40 degrees outside. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's, that's well, the brutal thing is I don't actually love it. I just happen to be good at it, you know? So it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, I'd much rather race in 10 degrees and feel like normal, but I just happen to not race well in 10 degrees. So that is not what I do, you know? It just shows you how good Tyler would be if he didn't get numb sensations when he raced all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I could tell you a few inappropriate uh, inappropriate stories about, well, I'll leave out a little detail. I'll tell you one is that I went on a mountain bike once and it was minus 24 degrees Celsius. Oh. And uh, it was uh, three hours and I went to like a mountain bike park. So it was like 45 minute ride there, got to the mountain bike park, bike for a bit. I ended up crashing in the disc bent, so I couldn't ride my bike. So I had to walk oh. I went to call my call my mom. This was when I was still at home, and say, "Hey, can you pick me up?" My iPhone froze, uh, so what? it like temperature turned off. So then I was like, "Oh shit!" And uh, this is in the middle of nowhere too. So I had to walk the forty five minutes home, uh, but it's a forty five minute ride, so it was almost an hour and a half walk. So by the time I got home, uh, I would have cried, but my eyelids were shut. And I got home, and uh, you know, my mom had to help me uh, take off my like winter gear because my hands and everything like take off my boots. And then I basically she poured a lukewarm bath, and I got in with all my clothes on, and uh, I got frostbite in a few spots that I that I won't say on the podcast. <laughs> the podcast is open to anything, Tyler. Uh, yeah. We've talked about Jack's pod- rash on this podcast. By his just use your imagination. Like, it's fine to just bring use it your up. imagination, and that's exactly <laughs> where. I got oh, that's crazy. That's yeah. that's just that's oh that's terrible. That's terrible. Jeez, oh, that sounds like a gnarly time. So <laughs> obviously, uh, so obviously, uh, you've gone through some of the craziest temperatures on earth, but you've still come out to be uh, a, a triathlete. Like, what's what's the path been like since you kind of got out of Canada and then got onto the circuit? Yeah, I mean, I took a different route because when I was nineteen, I was the uh in university started two years of university in finance before mm. stopping but essentially uh at the time i i had a, a friend of my coach who was coaching in hong kong and was like the national team coach there and essentially i didn't have much money and wanted to try to do this full time so hong kong said you know we'll we'll pay you to be a training partner you come in and train with these guys and we'll cover your cost um nice. which for a 19 20 year old i was like yeah let's do this so i moved to hong kong stopped university and uh, lived there for a few months. And then actually we did a camp as a New Zealand in New Zealand in Christchurch uh-huh, uh, yeah. as like a Hong Kong national team and myself. And that's where I met a lot of the, some of the Kiwis who are still doing it. Some of the long distance guys, like uh, uh, actually who I seen the other day, Mike Phillips, who's in Girona right now. Like I, yeah. I, I originally met him and I met uh, Laurent Vidal, which was before your time, Hayden and Andrea and a lot of these people who were, were cornerstones for so long, but um I trained with them until I actually raced New Plymouth World Cup. This is 2014, so this is aging me a bit. Um, and a huge pileup happened in front of me, like 20 guys, and I just went over my handlebars and uh, broke my jaw and uh, spent Wait. eight days in hospital in New Plymouth. Oh, so all these, all these teeth are fake in the front, and my jaw basically I got lucky. It, it collapsed in, and if I had gone any further, I would have had a droop in my face. So... Um, pretty lucky but i spent eight or nine days in the hospital in new zealand and then kind of reset and uh then at that point when i had to go back home join the national team and then uh the rest is kind of uh history you know i started training with the national team and uh in spain and then started re- to get some results and kind of at the start was with my parents i promised if i had a certain level to get to a certain level to not do university because in canada university is like you just do it that's just how, how life goes yeah. you you go to school, you work a job, 
job to afford university, you go to university, you get a job. That's just everyone does it. And that's kind of, if you don't, it's like not as normal. Uh, maybe not when my parents grew up, but now that's pretty typical. So I was taking a non-typical way. So it's kind of, I had to make a promise to them, like, now I got to do this on my own, but I got to at least see some results or I'll go back to school. And so one of them was that I was like, I'll go try to be top 10 in the world at U23 world champ. And uh, I was in Edmonton that year. I was racing actually pretty poor. I got food poisoning. So I was, I was vomiting on the bike, but the whole time I was just thinking, man, just stay in this race because you've got to get in my, it's an obscure value, but it's like, you have to get top 10 to prove to yourself and like your parents, <laughs> that you, you know, you can do this. So I ended up coming, I think it was eighth or ninth. Uh, and it was like the hardest eighth or ninth I've ever grinded to, but it was like this marker in my head. It's like, okay, well, if I'm top 10 in the world for my age, you know, I deserve a shot to keep this going. Yeah. And like, if we actually just go back, <laughs> that's crazy. I was just looking at that new Plymouth result in 2014. It's actually ridiculous how stacked that field was. <laughs> yeah. Like crazy. Yeah, all the names. Yeah. So Javier, Mario, um, I don't know the Swiss too, but he looked pretty good. And then, yeah, um, uh, Andrea's um, ex-partner. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Jono, um, um, Silva, Vincent, Ryan Sissons, Richard Varga, yourself. Uh, yeah, pretty stacked field for, just for a World Cup, eh? It was like a WTS, yeah. It was like there was no WTSs before May, I think, that year or something. So, Or there was minimal, so everyone was in Oceania and they were all just, race and at that point it was joel filial's group i believe was based in uh, australia so it was like their whole squad just rolled over and that was uh my second ever world cup so i was just like i'm gonna shit in my pants before the race so you know like i'm lining up with these guys and like the, you know normally you like you meet one or two year olds but just literally like 10 10 guys so i'm like i'm literally have like a crap on fantasy league the year before and i've got half them drafted in my league you know and i'm like oh my god so <laughs> holy shit just, and then it's like one of my first big draft legal races and it's pouring rain so i'm just hanging out at the back just going just don't die and well i pretty much died you know like there's a huge pile <laughs> i don't know if you knew tony dodds hayden oh yeah i know tony yeah he's a great, great man. man he's a phenomenal so, man tony tony and i go back to then but he i think he either broken a wrist or a collarbone he d- did something and he was on the sidewalk and he was like holding his wrist and going oh and then he like he looked over at me and instantly put down his wrist and was like, oh my God, dude, are you okay? Because I had lost my teeth. <laughs> so my whole mouth was bleeding, right? So my whole face oh, was covered and my shit. jaw was, was smashed in. And uh, I'm not much of like a overly uh, dramatic guy, but I just remember like, like when I got in the ambulance, like just give me the cane killers. Like I've never, I was just like, and they're like, sir, you need to settle down. And I was just like, I can't settle down. My face feels <laughs> like it's like, like it's just the absolute worst i've had so many injuries over here but i do not recommend the broken face because <laughs> you um you came back to new plymouth uh what this year again and i i don't know how i stumbled across it but i stumbled across it just the other day the photo of your face in hospital it looked fucking brutal like by the way yeah. tyler is not exaggerating like i think he's probably underdoing it like it looked absolutely brutal and like would you say that's probably like the like the biggest hurdle you've ever had to overcome in your career see this is funny i mean he didn't you probably know like every hurdle is like different you know like for that one, I had to, I had my watch. So they had four bolts in my mouth and it was wired shut yeah. for two and a half months. So I couldn't Ooh, eat for shit. two and a half months. 
So I remember just going to McDonald's because I was, again, I'm a small guy, I lose weight really easy and just getting the, yeah. the big shakes, which are at the time, like uh, 1500 calories. And I just suck that big milkshake down. And then I grind like chicken <laughs> in a blender. Oh, this is awful. Like oh, even talking about yeah. it now. Then after two and a half months, all you're like, I just want some crunch in my teeth. I remember like, I like was getting so excited near the end for like to eat a chip. So I could like feel the crunch in my mouth. It's just such a weird thing. But like, again, it's like a dry like, cracker. Mm, yeah. Like, I'm like when, when have I ever thought about this? This is the weird thing, you know? Oh. That's, that's, that's so hectic. That's so hectic. Like that's, but I don't think I've seen a, well, I haven't seen a Nalia crash over the last couple of years. Maybe the one that Hayden caused um, in Leeds, but... Yeah, we talked about a few episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've, we've already talked to Johnny about that one. There's like two or three like people usually crash, but I feel like that one had like literally 10 or 15 where I think the last big one like that was like a 2019 Hamburg where uh, Andreas Schilling oh, was on yeah. the front and crashed oh, and took yeah. out like ha- half the field. So th- th- there's a funny story behind that. <laughs> so pre-race, it was like when Jonas Schomburg was always trying to go for a breakaway. And it was before, I think he did a breakaway in one of the races, you know, and I went up to him and I was like, oh, you know, like still quite new in, in the uh, in the WTCS. And, and and I knew Jojo quite well. And I was like, oh, mate, do you want to go for a breakaway? And he was like, yeah, I'm keen. Yeah, I want, you know, Hamburg, is, you know, he's ready to go. And, and I was like, sweet. And then somehow Andreas got into like the conversation. I was like, all right, boys, this is where we're going to attack. Andreas, you lead it. And then we'll just tag, tag on. So Andreas hooked it through this corner, like pedaling through the corner <laughs> and like full noise. And then all, all of a sudden he just went sideways. And I was like fifth wheel at that time. And I think Jojo was like third. And then like, oh, it was chaos. Like I was at right in the middle. I like jumped. I, I don't know who, I think I, I don't know who I jumped over, but I had to bunny hop someone in the crash and yeah. I was right beside Mario and Mario just looked at me and he was like, Oh shit. How did you do that? I was like, <laughs> I don't know. It, it was phenomenal chaos. on TV. And I'll tell you what, I like came out of nowhere. Yeah. Cause you, you, were you pushed up by the barricade a little bit? I'm yeah. And then I popped out on the outside. Yeah. Somehow that was one of last Andreas's race, so maybe you forced him it into was. retirement. Yeah, yeah, it was his <laughs> last race because <laughs> he used to do Super League and everything, and then just Nick Minner, it was just after that race, gone. Yeah, super nice guy, too. Yeah, just yeah. like super yeah. quiet, super humble, super nice guy. But yeah, yeah, that was that was like that is the last big one, isn't it? I can't think of something. Yeah. I think that, that it was actually that it was that year that there was tons of crashes because in Montreal. It was like everyone was coming into T2. It was literally like the last 300 meters. And then they took out like Javier and, and all those guys coming around that corner. Oh, yeah. Shit, yeah. And then there's people like slingshotting off to the other side of the road. And this the second group was like nearly, we nearly crashed into the second group because they were like parallel to us and whew, could have been a bit of a disaster. M- Montreal this year wasn't, uh, I think there was quite a, like this probably, but they were all individual crashes, but there was a few yeah. oil patches in the road and it wasn't pouring enough that I think like, like 10 or 15 guys crashed, but they were all like separate crashes. Um, yeah. And most of them were on the same corner. Like Taylor Reed went down. I went down. Vasco went down. Japanese guy went down. Uh, Grau yeah. went down. Like there was at least 10 people who went down and they were all like, just it, thankfully individual crashes. Were they all on like the white lines? Yeah. Well, they're yeah. not the white lines. So uh, in Montreal, it hadn't rained in forever. And so there's tons of oil in the road and then it kind of like rained oh. enough that the oil came out of the road. 
but there is one spot I'm like again like a slow U-turn where like the U-turns I don't know what you think Baden but like the IT keep adding these U-turns and they go oh it's more technical and it like you know makes the race like harder it's like U-turns aren't technical they're just like you ride into them you slam your brakes you go around super slow and then you sprint full gas versus like actual corners and that are like technical because you're using like you're carrying your speed and using your skill at speed yeah, well, that's the same as like, well, because Canada's massive in a day. Like, you guys have those like underground uh, crit circuit races. That is quite big around, especially yeah. the states in Canada. It's huge yeah. and it's cool to watch. Like fixies and you just hook it. Yeah, but those are fun because there's there's not many U turns. There's the corners and yeah. stuff are like fun. Those are like what I enjoy and like what's fun about IT. But when they add these U turns, they think they make them more exciting. But all it does is it brings the race back together because it just compacts yeah. everyone at every single U turn. Um, what's yeah. interesting is actually they took U-turn out of Bermuda this year. And so they only had one at the top of the hill or last year. And it was the first time that there was a break, a big breakaway in a race again. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's an interesting concept because the U-turns again, aren't overly skillful. There's some skill to go around them, but like, again, if you crash on a U-turn, it's most likely like you hit a rock or like there's gravel or something like that. Like versus if you crash around a corner, it's more, I think like skill-based, I think. Yeah. Like if, like, if you look at Yokohama this year, like I was drilling it on the front with Leo and from Leo and I at the front to the 30 man snake at the back, it was about 20 seconds. And that 20 seconds was enough for guys like Christian and Yeller and guys to get back onto the group because like, you know, we're already down the road 20 seconds, but the last dude's just coming around the the U-turn and yeah, of yeah. course it's really hard to get back onto the snake, but once you get onto it, you know, there's that bit of extra motivation and you can get onto the group a lot easier. So like, yeah, I do understand what you're talking about. Well, even at Hamburg. So Hamburg, yeah. our last, our last round or talk about that race even is there was a group of uh, seven of us and then Christian wasn't on and Christian actually, again, he was a few seconds back. If there was no U-turn, he might've cost him another lap or two before he got on. He he got on because of the U-turn. Cause again, it's four yeah, or five I seconds. Do remember that. Yeah. He got on and then, by the next U-turn, that's how Struder and Hidalgo got on was the, the group compacted. So again, they, they sometimes they have no option, but the majority of it is tough because it just, yeah, like you said, it's 20 seconds like in Yokohama. Yeah. So I don't know. There's, we've, we've, we're, like the last eight episodes, we've yarned about courses and stuff. So maybe maybe they, maybe they might listen to the potty and, and design some new stuff, <laughs> but uh, I will see what happens, eh? Yeah, yeah. One thing that we have also yarned about on the podcast, um, like it's obviously, you know, like sometimes it's the track side of stuff, but also how they can build these races better, make them look better, um, you know, just all of the behind the scenes stuff. And I thought in Hamburg, it was fucking phenomenal. Like it was the best race um, for viewership, um, not just because of the format, but because of what they did, the pre-race stuff. Um, you know, having little interviews, like they had like little teams, they were talking to, you know, the likes of yourselves and, and that type of stuff. Like I really liked that. Like, and I was kind of sitting there watching, I was like, Oh God, that maybe they have been listening to the podcast. Maybe, maybe they had been, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it just seemed a lot more, it just seemed a lot better on that front. Like it was, it was a, it was a great spectacle to watch just in, just in like that fact where they, they took the extra time to go talk to the athletes and do this and do that. Oh, it just seemed good. I liked it. Yeah. Format, I mean, is cool to watch. Hey, 
yeah, I, uh, it's like it's it's fun to watch, but I bet it sucks for you guys having to sit on your thumbs for an hour oh, yeah. between races and whatnot. Like, I still personally like I love, I love Super League. You know, Jack is the the how they train with Jack Kelly. He's he's still not sold on the Super League concept, but I think it's the I love it. I think it's the best thing that's happened to triathlon, um, just for the viewership. Yeah, and I don't know about you, Tyler, but like it was quite funny seeing like the the sort the different sort of athletes like between rounds because we had an hour like it was the first time we had an hour ten between races and like we talked about it a bit and then you know you said like we'd probably feel more cooked after this than we would feel after Olympic distance or a Super League race because essentially you know with a Super League race it's swim bike run swim bike run swim bike run but you're getting five to ten minutes rest so you're kind of already like you're still holding a lot of fatigue going into the second round and third round where like this is the sort of format where you can race full gas, which I feel like other than Montreal, like as Montreal is normally the, the sort of distance, uh, Montreal, you had only like 20 minutes in between, but this one was an hour 10, but I felt like this was way harder than Montreal because like every round was full gas. Like, I don't feel like there was any let up in any sort of heat no. North kind of <laughs> semi-final. But like that was like when we talked, we were like, essentially it's we race full gas and then we have an hour 10, we race full gas again. So we've kind of in low in some ways fully recovered. So then we can go into the well a lot deeper than like a, a super league because we only have five minutes rest in a super league with this either yeah, hour 10. And then coming into that last one, like the same thing, like it was just like full on. Um, and I like it took me like four days to recover, eh? Like a good four days. Like I'm only just kind of getting back into it now. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the exact same as you. Like like we talked about it during the rounds. I was like, this is gonna mess us up, and uh, I mean it did. I've suffered. I'm just coming right now. But um, one of the things that's crazy about it too is like you take so much caffeine and gels, and you're so hyped up because like every round, I think I consumed like ten or fifteen gels in the on the Saturday <laughs> format because you're trying to keep going and like it's also like a thing like um you have to stay like so mentally locked in which is like also the exhausting part of racing yeah. is like the hormonal dump and the mental dump after racing it's like you got to stay locked in on Friday and then you got to for like a four-hour period on Saturday be locked in and then you got to try to come back for a mixed relay on Sunday and so by the end of the weekend it's like you've been focused for like six or seven hours of like not like a little bit of focus like hyper focus and uh uh, I mean, another good point you made is like the rounds, if you look at them, they're almost all the exact same speed. You ran the last round yeah. in like 455. And basically, like, I think I ran almost all, the first two rounds in 502 or 501. So it's like six seconds, which is over 1.8K is, is nothing, you know? Like, um, yeah. it's just that's the, with this, with the amount of rest, it's just even on the first day to automatically qualify, you had to go top 10 in your semi. But that was a top 20 WTS you know, result you had to go. And like, even if like, even someone like, let's say how well you're racing with your level top 20 WTS, like it may, it may be a, a workout, but it's still going to take some toll on you. Even if you got to like, let's say you go to Sutherland and they're like, okay, Hayden, we want you just to come 19th. Like, okay. Yeah. It's not going to be extremely challenging for someone like yourself, but it's still going to be a decent effort because the guy who's going 20th is going full tilt, you know, like, so yeah. uh, it may, it may feel easier because you're, feel like you're backing off but you still got to go 95 96 97 percent uh and because you're used to going 100 it may actually feel like you're going 70 percent but that's how i felt like where it was like okay well this is yeah definitely going to take a toll on my body 
Yeah, and I think in reality, I think we were actually still running as fast in every single heat, but it was just we were backing off in the last probably 500 meters. Yeah. And so the first the first lap was still full on because there was guys that wanted to to make that cut. So they were like we were pushing the pace, but then they were there holding for dear life. And it's like I'm because I think anyone can get over a 1.75k. Like you know, if you look over 5k or 10k, you know Alex and Alex and I and and Vasco and and those guys were normally more or less like 30 seconds up the road or whatever. But over 1.5, there's guys they were absolutely like giving it to us like yeah, we had to make sure we're in that position um as well yeah like every every single race was just full on and like i think it op- it opens the i think it opens the the podium to a lot more other athletes as well mm. like there's there was definitely guys in that top 10 that would normally not be in the top 10 um at the end of a race like there was normally the you know there was the guys that would normally be there but there was definitely a few guys that would normally struggle yeah. or like their personal best would be, would have been handbag. Especially the top 20. Like there is a, yeah. a few guys where even the top 20 or the top, you know, even qualifying, like a guy like example, Simon Hensel, a young German guy who, you know, hasn't raced on the circuit much. I remember, you know, I was running up and we were near the back of the qualifying. I was like, Oh, surely like after I was 500 meters and I was like, Oh, he'll, he'll fade. And he had a great race. I mean, you think he qualified third. And I was just like, you know, if this was five or 10 K it might be a different story, but like phenomenal race. Yeah. And like some of those young guys are more powerful. I haven't built up the endurance. Even it's just like, it's anyone's game and they have a good transition and you all of a sudden have to chase five seconds. Well, five seconds in that format is, is two and a half, two and a half seconds, three seconds of K, which I mean, we've all done track work. It's not easy. Yeah. Like, as you said, like there's a couple of Germans there that have never seen the top 30 before, but you know, I remember Simon, he's done Super League before. He's like a young German from the 2000s. He was 14th. And to get a 14th and being from the, you know, being a guy that struggles to say, get maybe a top 30 in like a sprint or Olympic distance, he's straight into the top 14. Probably helps because he's German and he gets like an extra 20% boost in Hamburg, but still like to get a top 20. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it's ridiculous. Talk about that? Like, there's yeah, five, I know. what is there, five women in the top 10 or like six or seven yeah. men in the top? like all of them qualified for the final. I remember running and yeah. there was like three Germans with me in my semi and going, what is happening right now? Yeah. So let's have a look. There was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven Germans. And it was eighth, 14th, 15th, 18th and 24th. Uh, so five, yeah, six of the eight Germans were in the top 20, like made it into it's nearly the top, the the last two rounds. And then the ladies Have a look at the well. women's too, yeah. Have a look at the ladies. I swear like 15 of the top 20 were Germans and the ladies. There was so many <laughs> I, of them. I, re- I reckon that's accurate. <laughs> yeah, like I think Laura Lindemann has the best stat in Hamburg. Nine years, nine years running, she hasn't, she hasn't cracked, cracked out of the top 10. That's incredible, eh? Yeah, like says, yeah. Have a look, there was same like seven Germans. And then it was third, fourth, fifth, fifteenth, seventeenth, twenty third, twenty ninth. Boys, boys, is that is that the best atmosphere in World Triathlon? Would you say being there in Hamburg is that is that you know is that a race where you look at the start of the season and you go oh god I can't wait for that one that's going to be uh, uh, like unreal because of the fans. I think personally for me, like other than Leeds, but this one's been this one's been here like year in year out. And I remember first coming to the World Series and everyone's like, other than the grand final, wherever the grand final will be, 
like everyone wants to win Hamburg because just the atmosphere, the courses, like it's been here year in, year out. Uh, that's kind of what I that what I got from from Hamburg. Like, what's your opinion on Hamburg? Yeah, everyone wants to race. I think I mean everyone's dream is to win, uh, but yeah. I think more everyone wants to race. Like even talking to training partners with that, and maybe guys who aren't you know younger who aren't at the WTS level. It's like a lot of them dream. It's not dreaming of like racing a world championship. It's like man, I hope I get to race Hamburg before I retire. Uh, wow. And it's even my parents. Like a per- perfect example, my parents are like before you retire, we want to watch Hamburg because it's like, it's incredible. I mean, you're in the water, you're along a canal, you can see people the whole time, even when you're warming up. Like I was doing a bit of backstroke and they had, there was a family like sitting right on the edge with like a bunch of kids and they're all waving. And like, I was like, this is great. You know, I waved back and they like made their day and it's like made my day, you know, like it's just, it is a, it's a special format. And I think that, you know, everyone dreams of, I don't know if it's winning. I think everyone dreams of racing and everyone dreams of holding a beer glass. So it's like, however you can get on that podium, even if it's third, you're pretty happy. Yeah. So when you win Hamburg or get a podium on Hamburg, you get this, you get the iconic beer glass. So it's like a beer, instead of champagne showers, it's beer glass showers. And then you just pour this like, so like behind the scenes, you've got the the, the flower girls actually like popping popping caps off the off the bottles, <laughs> and they just fill in the beer bottles. So like it's I think it's about eight standards for one one beer bottle, and then there's got to be you know six of them. So it's a lot of beer. Unfortunately, it's zero percent because the Germans are sponsored by the zero percent um, company. But oh, still, that's when Hamish good. Hamish is going to tell Brittany later that he's having one just one drink. <laughs> <Yeah>, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm just having one beer, darling. Just, just one a mega beer, pint, like, Hayden, now that you uh, have three of those cups, I would like for you to bring one home so I can, you know, well, legitimately Hunter's, say um, that. Well, if you want to go to Craig's house, the ones at Craig's, I think, so you can take it home. Yeah. And then yeah, I think, yeah, bring one I think Hunter's, favorite, I think Hunter's, uh, Hunter's dad stole one. It's in the office, and I brought one oh, to Andorra for the for the home uh, well, So you managed to keep all three without breaking them. Oh, dude, I haven't broken one yet. I know Jake Birdwhistle; he's broken his. Because he tried yeah, to get Jake it home. Has, Aaron Royal has Ryan Bailey. A lot of the Aussies I used to train with, it was like a mission to try to get these beer glasses home without breaking. And I feel like they weren't very successful. So obviously, you know a bit more about packing than these boys. <laughs> <laughs> if you aren't wearing Form Smart goggles when you swim, then you need to be. They are, in my opinion, by far the most underrated piece of triathlon training equipment that exists. None of us would ever run or ride without our GPS watch or device, but so many people swim without it, and it's probably indicative as to why it seems so much harder to improve in the water for everyone because we all obsess and spend lots of time and effort, energy, money into making our bike and run better, but our swim becomes almost an afterthought or something that we just like get up and slug through or finish work and slug through rather than are excited about improving. So... I just think you should stop making that mistake and get yourself some form smart goggles and finally start swimming with purpose and using like the live pace and timing data to make that easier. If you want to get some, then use the discount code HTT15 when you buy them for 15% off. It also gets you a free 12 month premium membership to form. Back on the race. I just want to go back to uh, qualifiers. Um, the swim looked fun, Hayden. Um, yes. Just this, this is mainly this 
Man for Hayden, Tyler might have something to uh, slap in here, but the, the swim looked hectic. Hayden got bashed up, but I think Hayden progressed to then have one of the greatest Instagram story chains of all time from a triathlete <laughs> after that one. Uh, like, if, if you didn't see Hayden's thing, it was Hayden clearly showing that he got bashed in the water, he was getting drowned in the water, and then proceeded to then say, it's all good, I'm used to this type of stuff, and then showed it at a festival that I was at with Hayden. I was... You know, I had a few few beers that day, and and Hayden yeah. was dead sober, and Hayden's on the front bar going hard, and everyone probably thinks Hayden's the most wasted person there, but he's dead sober. <laughs> like, what what was what was what is it like swimming at that place? Because that place seems hectic. Well, it's I think it I, I I think you could probably agree too, Tyler, but it's I think it's there's a fifty fifty of an honesty board, but also how the course is designed. I think yeah, it's thirty guys going to one hundred and ten meters. You know, there's going to be one or five seconds between the f- guy that can swim sub 60 seconds for 100, and there's a guy that can swim 105 in the in the fight. So you've got 30 guys like chugging chugging for this one right turn boy, and then all of a sudden you've got another 10 meters and then you turn right again. But there's also when you go under the the bridge, there's no cameras, there's no nothing. So and some I think there's there's a lot of athletes which do like every man for himself under there as well. And then, then that's when the honesty board comes into play. So I think there's like a 50, 50 where there was some athletes that were potentially a little bit aggressive, uh, maybe too aggressive. Like the, for example, the first round I, uh, I saw Henry, he was right beside me and then he just got like dipped down. And then all I saw is him, his head bobble back up and he was like, like, get off me. Like, what the fuck? And like Henry being back in 30th with me is like unheard of. So like, I think yeah. it's definitely like partially designed the design. Of course, what there's, there's not much you can do about it with the the course design because it's so narrow, uh, but also, you know, it's like, it's like underwater hockey, you know, there's no refs involved. So if it comes down to the athletes when you get under that bridge. So I don't know, maybe next time when they, if they do think about it, maybe they just like crank some LED lights underneath that bad boy and chuck cameras under there and see what happens. That would look <laughs> suck. <laughs> it is brutal normally. Like, I mean, as guys who aren't always out in the first few guys, we are used to being in a brawl, but that's different. There's actually in the first round, uh, I have, I got like a, I have a cut in my top of my eye here because I got smacked so good. And if you rewatch Ooh. the footage at about 25 meters in, there's someone who stopped swimming puts his goggles back on and then starts swimming and it's me because I, I completely like <laughs> I, I like you know when you get hit so hard you almost like black out I like blacked out I was like oh I'm gonna put my goggles back on and I'm like looking around I'm dead last I'm just like well there's only one way to move out you know I can't go any worse so I might as well just hang out back here ended up coming out like uh up the chain a bit but it was uh just an absolute war and Thankfully, like at least you qualified in the qualifying rounds a bit higher up, so you're on the inside, which was nice. But yeah. uh, I was one of the last guys to qualify, and so after the first round, I started on the outside every single time, and oh. uh, it was just every time was like I was like, oh, here we go, another war. Yeah. Well, it was like for example, <laughs> from my first round, so when I was so the heats, my sometimes were like like dramatically different, so. My first heat essentially was like, I think it was like four minutes flat, like four four minutes flat. And then by the last round, I swam a 348 and that was at the last round. So just like, it shows you that 
from 30 guys is just chaos to then like only 10 guys you can kind of get into your own rhythm and your own swimming style uh yeah like the 12 12 seconds over 300 meters is is pretty crazy. pretty crazy yeah it's crazy the last round was the easiest by far uh, i think i swam yeah. a similar time but yeah. they the, the effort required for me to move up in the other rounds was ridiculous versus the last round was the easiest one because it was just once we settled onto the feet it was kind of like well there's only 10 of us just please don't beat the shit out of each other <laughs> <laughs> please boys just stay in your own lanes boys come on <laughs> yeah please yeah Oh, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, I read, I saw my 348 and then the same, I think, yeah, you're 346. Yeah. Uh, which was like a huge difference, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, it's what makes it so cool is going under the bridge for fans and coming yeah. out and being along there, but it's also what makes it an absolute nightmare. Uh, if they chuck some lights under there or some cameras, it, it could be, it could be pretty cool shot even with the lights. Like my dad is in video background, like that's his job, I think. You, you, he definitely said you could set up something that would be like some, even some like cool, cool shot. Yeah. Cause I watched the race again after, and you could see like, there's, you could see the start of the swim, which was great. But then it was like nothing for like two minutes because you were under yeah, the, one set camera, right? Yeah. You were underneath and you didn't know what was going on until you popped through the other side, go back in, you wouldn't see anything for another minute. And then you'd see everyone coming back home as well so like yeah maybe like putting something under there so you can kind of see what's going on and see where you're where your you know your athlete is uh which would be pretty cool can you actually see under there like is a swimmer only just hey only just depends <laughs> if you've got like a clear lens or a dark lens if you've got a dark lens no chance yeah i had a dark lens i couldn't see shit because <laughs> <laughs> it seems bloody dark under there it was 50-50 because the sun was was in like uh, a central spot where it was too bright for clear lens. But as soon as you went under, it was too dark for uh, dark lens. So like it, it was either you go for the clear lens and get um, a lot of sunlight in your face in the first, you know, 100 meters or you, or you risk to go in the dark lens and being blacked out for, you know, a 50 meter segment. So it's kind of like, I guess depending what you're kind of feeling. I don't know if you did it in warm up, but when I warmed up, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is dark!" And I at one point just closed my eyes while I was swimming to see if there was any difference between when I had my head under the water and there was no difference. I closed my eyes. I was like, "This is the exact same as having my head underneath." It's such a. The only thing I could see was like because it's the water's quite as as is quite brown. Let's be realistic here. Like, yeah, I wouldn't drink out of it, but the water quality is meant to be great. Yeah, you, the only thing you can see is when someone is kicking and it kind of turns into a berry, like a bear, like a wheat bear sort of color. Uh, so, but that's like the the water, that's like the air bubbles from someone kicking. That's all you can see. If you know one yeah. was kicking, you couldn't see anything. Wow. Yeah. If you spot it up and you kind of look to the end of the tunnel, it looks like, you know, the, as they say, the light at the end of the tunnel. But uh, <laughs> it, yeah, when you're under, it's nothing, eh? It's coming. We're almost there. <laughs> I think uh I think yeah I think from a from a spectator's point of view it was it was it was a bloody good race to watch and you two obviously race fantastically both making the top 10 um can we just talk a little bit about kind of getting through to that top 10 obviously you guys Tyler said it was probably the easiest race of the three because it was you know a lot more 
it wasn't as congested. You can kind of stay in your own lane and whatnot, but like the actual race itself, like kind of being in there, like all having a shot, like all 10 dudes, like you almost had the 10 best dudes in triathlon lined up there. Obviously there was a couple uh, that weren't actually there, but you, you know, you were all there. Like what's that like when you line up these 10 dudes and you go, well, bloody hell mate, it's a shootout. Here we go. Yeah, sure. I, I, I think I heard you after the race, I don't know if it was you talked to me or if it was a quote or what was said, but I remember you saying like you were lining up and kind of like looking at the guys in the final 10. It's like, man, these are good athletes. And I think that's exactly what my thoughts were. Like you're looking at the list of athletes and you're like, man, everyone here has won a big race. Everyone here has done something special. Everyone here is a freaking good athlete with not much weaknesses. But I mean, yeah. then when you think about it, it's like, well, this is the top 10 of a world championship. So if yeah. we don't have the best athletes here, then something, something's wrong. But I think with yeah. the multiple rounds is that you just couldn't get lucky to get into the final yeah. 10. There was no, there was no yeah. luck involved because you had to race three super sprint triathlons where three areas to mess up. And if you messed up, the only way to overcome it was just to be strong enough that you could come back into it. So like in the first round, you have an off swim. The only way to come back into it is ride hard and run really hard to get yourself back in qualifying. Right. Like, and there's yeah. a lot of guys who didn't make it back in like a big name like Yella uh, in the first round mm -hmm. or Jake uh, who, you know, so the only way to overcome it is bad luck or misfortune or just, you know, an off off sport is to be strong enough. So I think over three sprint races, super sprint, you ended up with 10 of the best guys in the world because you just, that's how it ends up. You, there's not much, you know, there's, you can have some bad, bad luck, but you have to be strong enough to get through three rounds and navigate. There's going to be mistakes made or things happen. And, uh, that's why I felt last round. And, uh, for me, I didn't have a great last round. Hayden obviously did. He nailed a perfection, the, the T2 and, uh, cleared the boys out, but I was on the opposite end. I, I, uh, I probably, I rode poor position. I came in 10th. So I started the run 10th and kind of, uh, was out of it. And, and it's hard when you're running that speed, you know, Hayden exits and runs one K full gas and I'm running one K full gas. And even if we stay the exact same gap, he's already got six seconds on me. And then you're like, yeah. oh, shit, you know, it's, it's over. So, uh, that racing transitions are so important and more than transitions coming into, uh, T2, uh, was vital. I think like what, what was interesting in the last lap was, uh, or last one was Lumi got on the front and really pushed the pace on all of us. And the guys riding first to fifth wheel all did pretty well. And the guys riding fifth to 10th all did were finished fifth to 10th. Um, because I think yeah. out of the U-turns and that, it was just so full on. And some, sometimes he'd get the motorbike out of the U-turns and really drag us out. And so he got up to speed and being, you know, 10th wheel, I just, you'd get shelled and obviously strong enough to stay on, but where I got off and I was like, I can't, I can't run now. Um, because the acceleration of the front is too much with the motorbike. But one of the interesting things is like someone like a Hauser who finished fifth, he, you know, this is his format, I would say, you know, he's, he's super yeah. good at this short stuff and he suffered on the run. And I think, you know, he was sitting right in front of me at sixth or seventh wheel. And I think he, he probably paid for, again, I haven't spoke to him about it, but I'm sure he paid for the bike effort a bit. Uh, you know, the super right. fast accelerations out of the corner. So, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm just looking at like the top 10. I think there was, there's only two guys that haven't been on a world series podium. So you've got uh, Vesco who's world series leader, Alex is Olympic silver, Christian Olympic gold, myself is Olympic bronze. Maddie's won his World Series um, a couple of weeks ago, but the only guys is probably, yeah, Miguel from uh, Brazil. Oh, has he podiumed? He's, has he He's podiumed, podiumed I'm pretty sure. Yeah, maybe. 
I don't know. Um, Miguel, but Max Studer as well. But then you've got Tim who won Hel- uh, who won Hamburg a couple of years ago, and then yourself for the Montreal in the third, but obviously a test event. So there's every guy has won pretty much here, has won a big race. Even Lehman has won multiple World Cups. Yeah, and he won the World Cup the weekend before. So he's informed. Exactly. So like, as you said, um, I do, I think like, especially on a course like that, I think, I don't know, like if you can, if you can get a drone to record a mountain bike world cup inside a forest, I'm pretty sure you could probably get it done (laughs) on like a, a city course. Like I, I do think that motorbike did play a big part, especially when I was, you know, Christian and I were, um trying to bridge the gap even in the second and first first round like we were really struggling to to bring it back uh but also in the mixed relay it was a headwind and it, the the motorbike was pretty damn close and i was i was pushing pretty hard and i was getting yeah i wasn't making any inroads so like there's definitely i think yeah as you said like that i think the motorbike played a part where christian would attack and he would just put his head down string everyone and then you'd have to try and make some sort of position um, from when you came to transition. I was lucky enough where I was in third wheel and Christian kind of pulled up just a little bit, which gave me a little bit of a slingshot effect to then actually hit that right corner first and then surge again and then surge again out of that left corner to then give myself two seconds into transition. Somehow did a Jonas Schomburg transition, which was nearly three seconds quicker uh, than anyone in transition uh, in T2, which gave me the buffer. Like I still, I, you know, like I ran as fast as Vasco and Alex and Christian, but having that five seconds extra off the bike plus in transition was, was essentially what, what gave me the race when like, I didn't run particularly fast at anyone, but as you said, like if you're running one K as fast as I am, but you're 10 seconds back, like, it's game over kind of thing. So especially of that 1.75. Well, it's not a run race, right? It's 19 and a half minutes as fast as you possibly can yeah. go. And whatever you exactly. can gain a yeah. second or two, it makes a difference. Right. So yeah, that's exactly. What you did. Yeah. And then like, if I went, if I was talking to my coach, like pre-race, like 100, 100% Alex was one of the bigger threats, but I actually thought, as you said, like Matt was probably my biggest threat. Cause I know how he races super league. I know how he is over 1.75 K. I know how he is in a 300 meter swim. Like he's, he led every single swim. He was dominant. He looked extremely good over all rounds of the run. Um, so it was trying to figure out like, how do you crack yeah. these guys? And some somehow, yeah, got, got the job done. So it was, it was, it was definitely like a, it was an awesome race. Like it was, it was cool. The new format and I think it should stay, but definitely there are some things that we can probably we could probably iron out Hamish, I guess, last question before we let, let Tyler get to some training. I was just going to like say, just kind of like back up your point there. Like Maddie Hauser looked fucking unbelievable. Like he looked so good Monster. all weekend. And I thought he, yeah, I thought he was going to be the guy, but obviously kind of leading, as you guys have said all through the podcast, like the races were high tempo. Like they weren't just any like, oh, you breeze through, you know, you have a Sunday jog and you get through. Like they were all, and he was at the front of all of that the whole time. So obviously when it kind of got to that last race, it probably took a wee bit of a toll on him um, and and he wasn't able to maintain it at the end. But um, just one more thing for you, Hayden, was because we haven't, I haven't even talked to you really since since the race happened. Uh, it must be nice, by the way, to get that duck off the back 
and uh, get Alex in a race. That <laughs> that's kind of been you know lingering for a little bit now, and you've you've gone and you've done it, and hopefully we kick on and we carry on doing it. But um, was that transition and going off the front on the bike there on that last corner? Was that always the plan? Did you and Craig talk about that? Was that the was that the idea behind it? Yeah, the plan was to always come off the bike first. Uh, so the opportunity came where Christian linked it out. It was kind of like Craig said was he was like, all right, so we don't. I don't know how Christian's going to go over the last run, but he's definitely yeah. going to make chaos on the bike, and he's going to be kind of the bull on the Chinese restaurant. You know, he's going to make it hard. <laughs> Um, and that's what he did. He strung the whole race out and I was just, I just had great, I don't know how I got there, but I was on third wheel, had good positioning on that last lap. And, and it just kind of, I, I knew that I had to get one or two seconds just to get some sort of advantage. So at least if I get out of transition first and the boys bridge up to me, you know, they've had to bridge two or three seconds to come and to, to come bridge. And when, as soon as they get onto me attack again, and that was kind of the plan, but to have six seconds, seven seconds out wasn't really part of the plan. Um, so I kind of just got onto the run and was just running scared, make that first K like super quick. I think I went through, I think Craig clocked it at because the first lap was about one K. He said, you know, it was, a, it was in the realms of like a sub, you know, 240, 237. And then that, but the last 700 meters, like it was a suffer fest. Like my finish line, I don't know if, I don't know if you're you, Tyler, but my finish line was probably that U turn. Uh, not the finish line because I know if I got there with six seconds, I could probably, you know, there's 300 meters to go. I could probably hold on. Uh, so I was just like running for dear life to that U-turn. I was like, okay, 300 meters to go. Your finish line is not the finish line. It's that that U-turn. Just put your head down and go for it. And and that's what was kind of my game plan. Yeah, if you make it to the U-turn, you're, you know, you, then you, you you break down the race in so many little parts. You make it to the U-turn for you. It's home run, you know. It's one direction, no more turns, and you just go as hard as you can. And if they beat you, they beat you at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it was a uh, hell of a weekend's worth of racing. It was it was so good to watch both you guys in action. Tyler, I'm a, I'm a big fan, mate. Always have been. Love your work. And uh, hopefully you're going to be back in New Plymouth next year. Obviously a little bit of a disappointment from the race this year, but I want to uh, announce you onto the line again next year because I'll be emceeing that race again. So hopefully you come back down under. Yeah, I love New Zealand. And uh, sorry to cut the podcast a little bit short here, boys. I got to, uh, I got to jump. Right, you hit off. I'm, uh, I'm, I was mixing up uh, how they train sponsored product, actually. I, was I did see that bit of precision. Pre- pre- precision hydration. So there you go. <laughs> oh, Jack's going to love you. Yeah. Jack's going to yeah, love you. It's the business as usual, hey? Dude, he's got to DM yeah. you and ask you for a 10 series podcast soon. <laughs> <laughs> all right, boys. Well, I really appreciate it. So I got to cut it short. Nah, nah, it's all good. Nah, thank nah, you so good, much man. for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, you boys sign off. All right, Thanks, mate. boys. Love your work, brother. Love uh, we'll, your work, we'll, man. We'll, we'll sign off and uh, we'll catch you later. Thanks, boys. Later.